Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, brought to you by ZipRecruiter, our 2018 presenting sponsor. Talent matters whether you're on the court, in the courtroom, or even in a podcast studio. Nobody knows that better than ZipRecruiter. They developed powerful matching technology for hiring. You no longer have to wait for the right candidates to find you. ZipRecruiter finds them for you. It's the smartest way to hire. My listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Meanwhile, SeatGeek is the best app for buying and selling tickets to sporting events, concerts, and more. For $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on any game, any sporting event, anything sports-related, all you have to do is use promo code BS. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. Make sure you subscribe to our new Facebook watch show, NBA Desktop with Jason Concepcion, available on Twitter as well. You can watch the newest episode right now. This week, Jason looks at NBA Reddit's theory around the ringer curse and celebrates his beloved Kristaps 22nd birthday. Each episode around seven minutes long. New episodes will drop every Friday morning. I'm starting to think this Jason Concepcion kid might make it. Subscribe today at facebook.com slash NBA desktop. Come on, just do it for us. Also, speaking of subscribing, we dropped a new episode of the JJ Reddick podcast today. His guest, Kyrie Irving. The lead topic? Conspiracy theories. I think you should listen to this one. Don't forget my Friday column on theringer.com. I wrote about the Patriots this week, ESPN's controversial story about the Brady Belichick craft era. I had some thoughts on the podcast last week. I thought about it some more. I sorted some stuff out. And it was time to write about the Patriots anyway, because who knows? You never know with this stuff. I never take this for granted after 17 years. Anyway, I had some thoughts. You can read it now on theringer.com. Coming up. Mike Francesa, who is my personal mush. And then we're going to talk to Kathy Carter, who uh, is running for the presidency of U.S. soccer and is somebody I've known for a long time and I think is just super smart. And we talk about soccer, what's wrong with American soccer, what she thinks she can change, all that stuff. But before we get to that, Pearl Jam. Every Friday throughout the NFL playoffs, the hibernating New York City radio legend, Mike Francesa. You are my personal mush. Every time we pick games, oh I my lose. God. I can't figure it out. I, I don't you even have my number. Unbelievable. What's wrong with it's me? It's unbelievable. I don't know. You're just in such a terrible slump, and you drag me down. Otherwise, I would have had a perfect weekend. I mean, <laughs> I, the two games we agreed on, terrible losses. Kansas City, Kelsey doesn't go down. Yeah, and they got the worst call in history. Also on the on the fumble play being forward, uh, you know, his forward motion was oh stopped. I mean, give me a break. I Awful. mean, that was the uh, he's a terrible referee anyway. I mean, he shouldn't even be refereeing in the postseason. But the bottom line is, Kelsey stays in that game. That game is never close. Never close. Well, so what about this? What if one, what if Mariota's pass doesn't get batted back to Mariota for oh, a touchdown? Please. That uh, was a please. ridiculous I mean, game. You know, and Revis never should have come out of retirement. I mean, he was he was awful. Uh, I, so I, I think he but, retired but, in the second half. <laughs> <laughs> and then and, and then uh, you knew the Saints were going to give up. You knew the Saints were going to give up a cheap touchdown. Yeah. You knew they were going to give up a cheap yep. touchdown. I, you know, when I knew that game wasn't going to cover when they got the three points before the half, I knew that they weren't going to cover. That's that's the time when I knew it. Uh, but so well, what, what about me? And it, then I lost because. 
I took Jacksonville thinking Buffalo had no chance of scoring in Jacksonville against Jacksonville's defense with no weapons whatsoever with McCoy on one leg. And I was right. They scored three points and they somehow covered. Has anyone covered uh, by scoring three points in the last 10 years? I was right too because that's my anti-Bortles. Have you ever seen a quarterback play worse? I mean, no. uh, you know, he ran for a couple of first downs. He couldn't complete a screen pass. I mean, he could not hit a screen pass. Uh, this is a guy who won a playoff game without being able to throw a screen pass near anybody. I mean, that's how bad he was. That game set football back 10 years. That's really how bad did. the offense was in that game. I mean, it was just, listen, we know they, you know, the Bills jettisoned uh, Rick Dennison. Uh, I mean, you knew that. I mean, what, what, after watching that offense, you're lucky they didn't fire everybody in the building. I mean, that's how bad it was. But here's the thing. It sets up what a lot of people, I don't know, first of all, tell me, do you believe this? I don't personally, a lot of people and a lot of my friends say, this is the best weekend in the football year. I don't believe that. Are you a believer that these four on divisional playoff weekend, where you get the big teams back in action, you get the four games, you dominate the whole weekend. Is this for you the best weekend of the year? I actually like round one more because I think round two, usually you have at least two blowouts where there's just no chance. I think round one's a lot weirder. And plus it feels like the playoffs. It's the first one. I enjoy that one more. I got to be honest. I like, I still like regular season weeks even better. I, I, a good regular season week to me is the essence of the league where you have all the football from, from really Thursday night right through Monday night. So I don't think this is the best, but a lot of people like it. But let me give you the theme for this weekend, which is Wait, obvious. I got one thing to ask you before we hit that. Go ahead. If they expanded to 14 playoff teams and they made right. it so that only the one seeds in each conference get a bye, and you play six games in round one instead of four. And then it's basically two through five, two versus five, three versus four. And then it's basically plays out the same way where you have eight teams left heading into uh, round two. Would you be for or against that? Against. I don't want to water down the playoffs. I think you have enough teams in. I think you want to make teams fight their way in. I like that teams have to fight their way in. I like that teams get left. I don't like expanding the playoffs anymore. I like where the playoffs are. I think they have a perfectly balanced, perfectly logical playoff setup that a lot of the leagues don't. So I think their playoff setup works very well, and I leave it alone. I, I, don't, I don't touch it at all. Uh, so I, I'm against. I'm against expanding the playoffs. I think it's good where it is right now. Would you be for or against Jacksonville if they somehow beat Pittsburgh and the Patriots lost this week, they play the Jacksonville, Tennessee AFC championship game in London. Well, uh, <laughs> I would be against that. And that would be typical of the NFL as we know it now. Right. I mean, they even, they're even bragging about how they upgraded the games next year in London. Yeah. I mean, let's not go crazy. The games aren't that good. I mean, you know, we're supposed to get excited about what Tennessee, uh, the charges. I mean, come on I now. I mean, uh, let, let's get real. But here's the, this weekend, which is fascinating on yeah. a lot of levels. But here it is. Four big quarterbacks against four, to be fair, unproven quarterbacks. And you have them all, some home, some away, you know, some with teams that are playing well, some with teams that are playing, you know, a little spotty. But four and then four. And I'm putting Ryan in the first group. He hasn't won. He isn't on the same level as, as is Brady or Roethlisberger or Breeze, but he still has been a very good playoff player. He's, he should have won a Super Bowl last year. He's played well in the playoffs in his career. So I, I think you can put him on the good part. And then you have four 
very unproven quarterbacks in each of the matchups. So are you going to buck the quarterback matchups in some of these games, some places where the home field and the defense is, uh, is very, very uh, impressive, like Minnesota, uh, stuff like that. Uh, and again, we start with the game, the first time we've ever had a one or two seed, or a one seed anyway, I'm not sure if it's two, I, don't, I, I know a one has never been on the dog in this round. No, it's, uh, it's actually, and, it's never happened. This is the first time. Right. There's only been five round yeah, two home dogs. This isn't really fair anyway, though. When you lose your quarterback, it changes everything. So I think it's an unfair thing to really use because, let's be honest, there's no, there's no, people tried to paint that there was a comparison between the quarterbacks. There's no comparison between the quarterbacks. Yeah. Their quarterback level has dropped five full levels. That's how bad they are. So bad that, uh, I, I would have loved now I've been on the Atlanta bandwagon, so I wasn't getting off anyway, but I would love to go against a team that everybody has jumped on their bandwagon as, as enormously as everybody. And I'm telling you, I've been on that Atlanta bandwagon all year. Nobody's been on it. Now everybody is on the Atlanta bandwagon and nobody's given Philly a chance. Do you give Philly a chance in this game? So there's a couple of factors here, right? One is that I, I actually thought the nobody believes in us theory, which is a theory I've had for a while in my columns and stuff, that it actually was impossible to have it anymore because it's become such a narrative that people start talking about it and then the team realizes that actually some people believe in them and it turns it into this whole circle. This time, it really does seem like nobody believes in the Eagles. And you look at the betting action for it. I think I saw online on, on Wednesday that like 80% of the bets are in Atlanta. The line is, has stayed at three, which as, you know, a road favorite in round two is kind of unheard of. And, unheard of. And it's really hard to make, like, yeah, I always look at it this way. I want to take the Eagles. I desperately want to go against the grain. I love having the home dog. I love the dome team outdoors, but I don't want to take Nick Foles. I just don't. And I think everybody feels that way. It's like you take Philly, you're stuck with Nick Foles. You're stuck with a situation where, they're down six in the third quarter, and he's ha- all of a sudden he has to make plays, and it's a disaster. Nobody wants to be in that. On the other side, you never want to be in the side that everybody and their brother has the same team. I, so I, I don't agree. Know what to do. And listen, I hate that everybody. I was going to be on Atlanta in the playoffs anyway. I was on them last week. I thought they would win. Uh, I was a little worried. I, I I was worried about them. I've been worried about them all year. But I thought that if they played their game, they're still the better team. They played their game. They were the better team. Rams played terribly. Though. Let's be they honest. The Rams awful. just oh they played God. terrible. They, listen, they played like a team. Fox struck twelve. That's what basically happened. Uh, you, they looked like believe... a team that was not there. I, I really think a lot of factors. I think they were nervous. I think they didn't have a lot of experience. I think experience does matter in the playoffs. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. You believe in playoff experience? I think it does matter. I think you need to have it somewhere. I think you have to have it either in your coach in your quarterback. I think if you don't have it anywhere in your organization and you don't even have it in the building and you don't even have it in the fans, I mean, yeah. they had nothing really to grab onto there. They didn't have a tough home field. They didn't have anything against a team that let's be honest, uh, was a team that underachieved all year, which clearly should have been the best team in football this year and really underachieved all season. That was the best team in, uh, last year on Sunday by so much for the first three quarters and then just forgot what time it was and yeah. where they were. I mean, so I've been waiting for Atlanta all year. I, and then this the worst thing that could have happened. I wanted Atlanta to go into this round and be a big underdog, and I would have picked them again. I would love to pick Philly here. 
you gave all the reasons. Everybody on Atlanta. Uh, dome team playing outdoors, cold weather, on the road, everything. But I cannot in my heart believe that in this game that they are going to get anything out of Foles in a big spot. I can't see Foles doing anything. I just cannot. I cannot put one lick of faith in this guy in this game. And I actually think that Atlanta will win this game by a touchdown. I really do. I think Atlanta is better. I think Atlanta is, is, is playing to their defensive uh, pedigree right now. They're better in the secondary. They're going to challenge him. They're going to, they're going to basically say, we're going to load up against the run. We're going to challenge you. We're going to play man. We're going to go make you make, throws in tight windows, go ahead, let me see you make them. And you know what? He's not going to make them. I'm sorry, he's not going to make the throws. I don't believe he will. And they'll put enough pressure on him. Uh, I'd blitz them. I'd put pressure on him. And I think Atlanta's offense has enough weapons uh, to do a lot of good things. They have to. They have to keep Ryan upright. The one place Philly can be good is on the pass rush. If Philly isn't getting a big pass rush, this game could get really ugly because so, the, uh, he could get picked. Up, they could get really picked apart. So you'll be happy to know uh, I'm actually taking the Eagles plus three. That's a good sign for Are you. Are you really? Yeah, I am. Are you really? <laughs> I think that's great. You know what? Where you are in this year, you I got need this it. game. I know. I need, I need, to, I need to roll the you dice. You need this game to work. Absolutely. You have nothing to lose. It is a great pick on your part. I, I? I, yeah, I love your pick. I absolutely love it. Thank God you're off the Falcons. But also, I, I love the pick because you have nothing to lose. Can I make the case? Other yes, than the stuff we already said? I don't yes. think the Falcons are going to be able to run on them at all. Nobody runs on the Eagles this year. It's not happening. Their front seven should be able to control it. And I was looking up like in the playoffs in the history, basically the ugly, low scoring, outdoor, just crap games. And I think that's what this has to be for the Eagles. And I actually think they're kind of built for it. And I was looking at, a, I think there was a Titans-Ravens game in January 2009, Flacco's rookie season. The Ravens ended up winning 13 to 10. They beat Kerry Collins, who I don't think ever appeared in the playoffs again. And it was just an awful game, and Flacco didn't do anything, and he didn't do anything that whole postseason, but they kind of just grinded it out. And I think the Eagles can do that. I, I think it just has to be just take away the car keys from Foles. Just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and, and win it with your defense. What we've seen from Atlanta, they really struggle in the red zone. You know, even in yeah. that first couple quarters against the no Rams, question. they no just question. have trouble. Their field goal kicker has been a their field goal kicker has been MVP. Saved he really him. has. Yeah, he saved yeah. him. So I think it's got to be like 13, 12, uh, 13, 10, 12 to 10, one of those type of games. And I think I just like going against the grain. I can't imagine anybody taking the Eagles this week, which usually tells you you should take the Eagles. 13 Atlanta for me. 23-13 Atlanta. Right. I do not believe in falls, so I'm going Atlanta minus three. I Listen, I thought Atlanta, you know, afterwards I said to someone, you know, Atlanta could be favored. And then I said, nah, you know, I, I, that never happens. And then boom came the line and I said, I thought maybe Atlanta could be slight favored. Then they came out three. And I wouldn't be surprised at game time this game goes to four. I would not be surprised. The one narrative I'm afraid of with this pick and then with the other New Orleans, Minnesota too, is this might be a situation where the NFC South was just great. And these teams just were weathered playing against each other and basically playing miniature playoff games 
over and over again this season. I thought Carolina was really good last week. I wasn't prepared for that. Uh, I thought Cam was excellent. I expected the Saints to roll over them, and they really hung around, and Cam just kept them in the game. And that kind of seasoning, I think, for Atlanta and for uh, New Orleans, might we might be looking at this in the conference championship going, wow, that was what they needed. That was That was the biggest advantage anyone had. Who knows? Well, so I'm going Atlanta, you're going Philly in game number one. Now to the big game, and obviously a lot's been swirling around. The Pats can't wait to get back on the field. I think they've done a very good job, a very good job. And this is where you have to give Belichick credit. Uh, Unlike a lot of guys who would play up that drama, I know a lot of guys who would play that drama up. he didn't. He diffused that drama completely. He yeah. took and he made, he turned it back into a completely stable situation. He could have played up the giant angle. He could have made that an enormous story. He could have turned it into just volumes of, of stories. And he diffused the entire thing to put stability back into his franchise. And you got to give him a lot of credit for that. And uh, I know a lot of people this week picking Tennessee. I think they're out of their minds. First of all, Tennessee should have been out of that game before the half last week. Yep. Kansas City is complete Kansas, Kansas City and Andy Reid are completely snake bit. They 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 try to find a way to lose games at the in the in the second half of these games. Kansas City did anything it wanted when Kelsey was playing in that game. Anything it wanted. It could have gotten it, anything it wanted in the first half it got. Tennessee was lucky to even be in that game in the third quarter, and the Pats will get whatever they want on offense. Can they maybe run the ball and make a play or two with their tight end against the Pats? Yes. But you know what? This game, to me, has Mariota has two moments. Brady has all the moments he needs and more. This game, to me, is 34-17 Pats. That's that's right around where I had it too. It reminds me last year they beat Houston 34-16 in round two, and that's how it feels like. I just Mariota did some stuff in uh in KC and played reasonably well, I think, the week before, but I he makes three dumb plays a game. Can't do that against the Pats. I think the Pats will get whatever they want offensively. And if you look at the first half, as you said before Kelsey went down, um, they were just ripping through him. And, and they, anything with, they want. without any anything. without really any weapons, like they ran all their yep. Tyreek Hill plays early. They didn't really have a second receiver. Uh, Hunt didn't do that much, and I don't know why they went away from him in the second half or why they weren't running those sweeps. I don't know what the hell happened on that third and one option play with with Alex Smith. It was just a collapse. A I collapse. I missed the field goal that would, it was a big field goal they missed. I mean, so many things went wrong, and then of course the Revis play. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, just unbelievable how many things had to go wrong for them in that game. Unbelievable amount of things had to go wrong. That was a game you cannot lose. You cannot lose that game. That game was so over in the first half. And people who who go back and look at that first half, I defy you to look at that first half and tell me you're going to pick Tennessee and New England. I mean, come on. The good thing about the Pats minus 13 and a half, which makes me nervous, and and it also makes me nervous that they seem like a relatively obviously obvious pick, but you know, there is a case if Tennessee hangs around, they hangs around and hangs around. And the Pats had the 32 ranked defense this year by advanced metrics. Derrick Henry's probably bigger than anyone in the Pats front seven except one guy. And if they can stay within like six in the fourth quarter, night, it's cold. Henry really starts heating up in the fourth quarter. There is a case which makes me want to take the Patriots. I just think like, uh, 
you know, let me say this, this is what they Belichick do. Takes away, Belichick takes away one thing every time. In this game, he takes away the big back. He makes Mario Oda beat him uh, and beat him uh, through the air. Will not happen. They don't have anything except a mistake offense. Yeah. Offense only works on broken coverages. It never works because it beats somebody. It works because it formations somebody into a mistake. That's the only way it works. And to me, those kind of offenses do not work against the Patriots uh, because the Patriots will be in the right spot nine times or 95 times out of 100. So to me, it doesn't work. This game is, listen, it won't be an embarrassment, but it will be, you know, somewhere between 17 and 21 point Patriot win, somewhere right in there. <laughs> Probably be sweating out the backdoor cover at the end. Let's take a break, come back with the Sunday games. The all new BMW X3 wasn't built for everyone. It was engineered for those who share the desire of more, more passion, more ambition, more making every second count. The new BMW X3 capable of doing more. When I think about sports teams that have been capable of doing more than their competition, you know where I'm going. The 86 Boston Celtics, my favorite team ever. Bird Parish, McHale at their peaks, but won't come off the bench. They reached a level of performance that has not been seen before or since, including playoffs. 15-1 at home. All because they had the desire and talent to do more. And like my beloved 86 Celtics, the BMW X3 is capable of more with the level of performance you can expect from BMW. I drive 6.0 with an intuitive touchscreen, available safety features like active blind spot detection and next generation X-Drive intelligent all-wheel drive. The all-new BMW X3 built to handle whatever road, terrain, or adventure is ahead. No matter what, I love BMW. Test drive the new all new BMW X3 at your local BMW center today or go on their website and just look at the pictures. Am I the only one who does that? All right, back to Mike Francesa. All right, let's go to Sunday. Uh, the Sunday thing that starts, which is fascinating. First of all, Bortles, you know, he's, he's probably lucky that uh, he's even talking about this week after last week's performance. I mean, yeah, he made a couple of runs and, 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 do you think maybe Buffalo would have figured out after a couple of times that he was going to run the ball? I mean, do you think they could have at, at some point put some containment on one of the ends right. against them? I mean, my God, how dumb was that? But be that as it may, uh, uh, he did make a couple plays with his legs. He made absolutely no plays with his arms. But the thing that's going to drive everybody crazy here is all the time people are going to talk about a game that was played in the early part of the season that Jacksonville won 30 to nine against the Steelers. Fine. You know what that game is worth? Zero. That game is worth zero. Regular season games like that are worth nothing in the postseason. This game is going to be a completely different game. Jacksonville cannot win with that offense. The Steelers, who scare me sometimes defensively, this game is made to order for them. Their offense will break Jacksonville's back. won't be early. It'll take them a little while, and then it will be like the floodgates will open. Bortles will give them at least one pick for a touchdown, maybe two. That'll, that'll allow them to get 14 points, and this game will, in my mind, be a rout. I do not think this game will be close. I agree. I'm with you. I think uh, <laughs> Bortles was so bad last week. 
I don't know. He was pants bad. He was, <laughs> he was so bad. I mean, people are worried that Nick Foles is going to single-handedly destroy the Eagles, and and they might be right. But you know, it's hard to imagine him being worse than Bortles was. And somehow Bortles, I don't even think he threw a pick. I can't imagine him in Pittsburgh. I can't imagine if he gets nervous or if they're behind. What I don't understand is what happened on Leonard Fournette this year. I really thought like he was going to you know, turn it up once we got to the playoffs and we were going to see the Fournette from the first four to five weeks. And he just doesn't seem like he has the same explosiveness. So you take him out. I don't know who I'm supposed to be afraid of on Jacksonville. I don't know how they can get to 17 points. And we know the Steelers are going to get to 24 or 27. I'm also not... I'm not, I'm not positive Jacksonville's defense is as good as everybody thinks it is. Like the Niners scored 44 on them last week. I it see Buffalo had wide re, wide open receivers that whole game. How many throws did Taylor miss? 10, 11? McCoy got to 100 yards anyway, even though he was on one leg. It, I, I just think the Steelers are going to be able to move the ball, and once they get a lead, it's over. The fans want it. It feels like Steelers Pats. It's felt that way really the whole year, and I'm with you. I don't care what happens in the first six weeks. Now that we have abandoned the preseason and scrimmages and practices and all this stuff, we don't even know who these teams are until Halloween. So I don't remember, care. Remember something here, Bill. That game was 9-7 to seven in the middle of the third quarter, a ho-hum typical game, and then the Jaguars got two pick sixes for touchdown and a 90-yard late net run when the Steelers could care less. They were already down 23 to nine. Yep. The game had less than two minutes left. It was all right. The game's over. I'll oh, let them run for 90 yards for a touchdown. Made the game look like a route. There were three touchdowns that they never get a sniff of. Now you're back to nine points and balls. Are you kidding me? Come on now. This game Bortles will never against Roethlisberger will be great in his building and and I don't care if he throws a pick six to start the game. He'll be great in the second half of this game. And Bortles will be awful again. They'll be talking about which quarterback they're getting next year, okay? By the time right. the game's three quarters over, this game to me, Steelers are a seven-point choice. This game to me is 31-13, 34-13, something like that. This game to me is a 21-point uh Win. Yeah, and I think the Jaguars, right around the last part of the third quarter, start shifting into, hey, we had a great year. Next year, we'll get a real quarterback. A lot to be proud yeah, of, guys. And, and, and you start mentally moving that way anyway. All right, so to me, the first three games, Atlanta was an easy for me. I, I could have picked Atlanta before the playoffs started. Um, Eagles with Foles, we all know that. Uh, Pats. Duh. I mean, that's an automatic. I mean, that's his automatic. That Saturday night game, we've been having that game for 15 years, that game. Yeah. We're going to have it again on Saturday. We've had it forever. It's like a ritual. It's just part of the year. It's a January experience. And, and with all that went on, tell me Tom is going to want to stick a couple extras in there in front of the world on, yeah. uh, and, and so we can give somebody a hug uh, at the end of the game, you know? So, uh, and then Steelers, which to me is my best bet of the weekend. And then the fourth game, which is really hard, yeah. really hard. And uh, I tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go first. Go ahead. You tell me what you think. Okay. I like the points. This feels like a three-point game. I think the Saints are good. They we they got a little, people got a little thrown off their scent last week because Cam just was awesome in that game. He played great. And uh, 
I've watched the Saints all year have been able to either run the ball or throw the ball, depending on what they can't get away with. They've always been able to audible to the other one. Their defense makes plays. It's in a dome. I like the fact that that they're indoors. I don't 100% trust Case Keenum as good as he's been this year. This is still a much bigger stage. Uh, I think you can take out Adam Thielen, which is what they're going to have to do and make everybody else beat them. And it just feels like a back and forth, awesome, close game with the winner probably going to the Super Bowl. So I'm taking the points. I think the Saints can win. And, you know, don't forget the Vikings DNA. It's lingering. It's that, It's definitely that 2002 Fenway. You could feel it last week in the Chiefs game when things started to go wrong. And those Chiefs fans, those finkters get really tight. And that Vikings, you know, it's a top four tortured NFL franchise. If if things go wrong or things go askew or whatever, I think, you know, you're counting on Case Keenum to basically lift everybody up and it makes me nervous. And I'd just rather take the points in Drew Brees. What do you think? I think uh I could I think everything you said is spot on. I think it's a very hard game, and I think at plus five where it is right now, I think it's a almost impossible game uh to pick. But Here's my thoughts on it. Number one, I think Minnesota is ready for this game. I think Zimmer's been waiting his whole life for this game. I know how intense Zimmer is. That defense is real. I'm going with Minnesota the points for three distinct reasons. Number one, I think Minnesota is is this is everything at the right time. I think they're home in their defense, and I think their defense is an enormous force. I think the best defense in the league by a lot. I think Breeze is not the same player away from home. He never has been. He's always been a home player. He's always been a player in his building. His numbers on the road are not nearly as good. I don't think those open plays are going to I not think they'll be able to run the ball. I think they'll make them one-dimensional. If they make them one-dimensional, they beat them. Uh, and the other thing is this. Here's the thing. Minnesota's got some guys, and I've been as guilty as everybody else. If Case Keenum's name wasn't Case Keenum, this guy passed for 3,500 yards. He completed 67% of his passes. He had 22 touchdowns. He had seven He made big plays in the second half of multiple games. He's got a receiver who caught 91 balls this year. He's got a good, solid back who's been explosive. He's got... Listen, they lost a lot when they lost Cook. I thought Cook was going to be a great player. They've overcome a lot. But I think with guys dealing and Diggs, who, you know, are good, they got a good tight end who's had a good year and he's good in the red zone in Rudolph. Uh, I think this is Minnesota's time. I think it's their day. I respect Everything about New Orleans, I respect Breeze, although I don't like as much on the road. I respect Shua, who I've known for 100 years. Uh, I think I think that even the Saints even have a defense now. They even have a pass first, even have a defense, they even have a running game. They're far more balanced than they've ever been. They're far more built for the road than they've ever been. I think they're running into an absolute buzzsaw. And I think Keenum's wow. going to show up, and he's going to play well. I think the defense is going to play great. And I think Keenum, I don't know how he'd do if he faced a Tom Brady. Well, that might be too much for him. But I think he's going to play well in this game, and I think Minnesota's going to play really well this weekend, and I think that will make Minnesota a very heavy favorite to go to the Super Bowl. And I think we're going to be looking at Atlanta at Minnesota in the NFC title game. So you're basically telling me Minnesota's making the Super Bowl? 
I think they are. I think Atlanta has a puncher's chance, though. I'm going to tell you right now, if you give me seven next week, I'll probably take Atlanta plus the seven. Um, but I think Minnesota's going to play really well here, and I think Minnesota's going to win this game on the setting and on their defense, which I think will be overpowering. They have stars in every level of that defense. They have a couple of great players on defense. They have, you know, they have some really special, special players on defense. Guys, I don't know if America knows how good Smith is. I don't know if they know how good a couple of guys on this defense are. They, you know, Griffin's a really special player. Smith's a special player. I think Zimmer will have them at a fever pitch. I respect the Saints. I really do. That's why I think it's a hard game. Plus, you're getting five with Breeze. Backdoor covers in vogue. But I don't think this is the kind of game where, the, where I think backdoor is the kind of game where Minnesota is playing defense, where they're just chewing off. He'd be lucky to be standing in the fourth quarter, no less getting a backdoor cover. I think it's going to be that kind of game. I think they're going to be ferocious in this game. I think the Viking defense is going to rule the day in this game. So you don't think Drew Brees in a dome? It's that much different than being in Dome in the Superdome? Like, if this was outdoors, I, think, I could see it. But they, if it's indoors, I, I why is he going to struggle? I, because I think it's the other team that never shows up in New Orleans. I think the other teams never play with any passion on defense against them in their building. They go right. in there, and they play not to get embarrassed, and they play. They don't play their game. They never go in on the road in New Orleans. They go in there not to get embarrassed. They go in there to not give up the big play. They play on their heels. They don't ever play to attack. And I think these guys will play to attack from the start on defense. And I think that's the difference, not so much the weather. Because I've seen Brees in a couple of games, even in the cold weather, where he's played well. I think he can overcome that, even though his numbers are much better at home. But the point is, as are Roethlisberger's, and that's not a cold or a hot weather thing. I mean, he's also just much better at home than he is on the road. Some guys are. Breeze is too, but I think this Viking defense is the one unit in the league that is special. And I've seen them just clamp down on people. I think yeah. they're going to clamp down on the Saints here. So I'm going to go Minnesota minus the five. So I, I, got, I have, I have uh, all four favorites this week, which I don't like, mm. but that's that's where I am. I, I, I can't, because I thought Atlanta was going to be an underdog, but they're not. But I have Atlanta, New England, Pittsburgh, and Minnesota. I mean, so I have all four favorites this week, which I don't love ever being there, uh, but that's where I am this week. And I have the two NFC dogs. And you have the two NFC dogs. Can I give you my teaser of the week? Yeah, go ahead. Steelers down to one and a half, Saints up to 11. You know what? That's why they call them teasers. <laughs> I feel teased. <laughs> That's it. That's why they call them teasers. They, uh, they always sound good. That's good. Now, let me get into it for a second here. Yeah. How about the NBA coach deciding they are going to tell any media outlet how they're going to do their business? Now, listen, I'm the first one, and I've said from the minute one, I would not give Ball one second of airspace on my show. I think he's a clown. I wouldn't even listen to him. I wouldn't even want to hear what came out of his mouth. But where I draw the line is, I don't want NBA coaches telling any media outlet what they can and can't do. I, I agree. I, I, I actually blame both sides on this one because ESPN sent somebody to Lithuania basically to get you know, however many days of content they could get out of LeVar Ball. And then they kind of look around and go, oh, well, who's blowing this guy up? And meanwhile, it's them. And uh, and I don't feel like they've been properly called out about that. On the other hand... I think that's fair. I think that's fair. The coaches 
It's ridiculous. ESPN's the partner that's paying them billions of dollars. I mean, that's a fine line. How about the idea from Rick? And I like Rick. I mean, but how about the idea from Carlisle, your partners? Wait a second. You you have to let us do our job. You have to let the media do our job. The Yankees and the Giants have been on my station or the Mets. That never once ever, ever stopped me. Ever. And and by the way. Going after those teams. And if it was, I'd be insulted. By the way. It is a story. We haven't had a situation like this before where we've had a parent who had this high of a profile who really seemed like he was affecting the team. And when Lonzo didn't come out and really defend his coach, that is a story and we have to talk about it. The problem is it became a story because for whatever reason, ESPN decided to send somebody to go cover these two kids who have no chance of ever playing in the NBA or being relevant in any way in some garbage Lithuania league. Who cares? Why is this? Why? Why is anybody there? Shouldn't shouldn't even be covered. What happens to the? I, I agree with you a hundred percent. And they have overdone it. They overdo a lot of things. So I do agree with that. But it's a fine line the NBA coaches are walking when they think, "Hey, we'll tell you what you what we'll tell you what a story is and what's not a story." No, you won't. Just shut up and coach your team. You're not going to tell the media, nor should you ever tell the media what isn't isn't a story. That's not your job. Well, That's not your job. I mean, you can tell you we you they, they have no problem ever telling the media what their job is, but let, we can also tell them what their job is. Their job is not to dictate what it is. That's not their job. Well, the funniest thing to me was when Stan Van Gundy, who takes just about any chance to pile on ESPN, came flying in off the top rope because when I, when I got the NBA countdown job the two people that they hired that season were Stan Van Gundy and me. And we had a phone call and, you know, oh, we're so excited. This is going to be great. Can't wait to work with you. And then David Stern squashed it and ESPN had to pull out of the Van Gundy part. And that's how Jalen ended up on the show. And then ESPN denied that's what happened, but that's what actually happened. David Stern was very anti-Van Gundy and squashed it. And, uh, And I think ever since then, Stan never resists a chance to really try to stick it to them. There's no problem. Listen, I like and I like Stan because you know what Stan tells you like it is. Yeah. He tells you what he really believes and what he thinks, which I like. But he, I think Stan even knows. I think Jeff and Stan get it. I think they know that what they, where they're going with this doesn't work. It doesn't work. Right? Okay? Don't, don't listen. That's not your job as a coach. Don't tell us what your job, what we should cover, and who we should cover and who we shouldn't cover. Let us decide that. We'll decide that. And listen. We have to be smart enough to know when we're getting played. And everyone's been getting played by this clown the entire time. Now, it's, it's who's using who more. We understand that. And both sides trying to use each other. But they have puffed this guy up to a point of just it being completely ludicrous from my standpoint. I don't want to hear from him. I never wanted to hear from him to begin with. But I don't want coaches saying, we'll pull back here and your partners. That is not the way. The message you want to send. And I also wonder the way the Lakers handled it or did not handle it. You know, every controversy about LeVar, which seems to last for a few days, deflects people from the fact that the Lakers don't have their first round pick this year and weren't playing well and spent a ton of money on Luke Walton. And, you know, we're kind of going backwards and are in a really weird situation right now because they have this team of top five lottery picks crossed with expiring contracts and guys who don't know if they're going to be there and there's no real style in place. And um, they're tanking, even though they don't have a pick, which, which you never, the place you never want to be in. And then on top of it, you have the LeBron shadow just lingering over everything. And everybody out here thinks LeBron's coming. 
the Lakers have. Yeah, been, what do you think about that? Do you think he's going? Do you think it's a, a foregone? In your mind, is it a foregone conclusion that he's going to the Lakers next year? I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. I think it was in motion, but the way that they have played this year and the issues they have, I, I think it would be kind of crazy if he went to the team as is. Now, if they were able to clear the salary caps so he could bring a couple people with them, that's one thing, but they have real salary cap issues. Clarkson makes $12 million a year for the next couple of years. Very hard contract to trade. Luel Dang, I think, makes $52 million. He's basically the same contract as Joakim Noah got. There's no way to trade that. So they're not really going to have the cap space unless they use Lonzo or Kuzma or Ingram to get rid of the contracts. And if you're doing that, you have to know LeBron's coming. I, I don't, I mean, for his legacy and all that stuff, which he seems like he really cares about, I can't imagine it would be great for his legacy to just go to LA and kind of give up the chance to ever win titles for the next couple of years unless he could build a super team. I don't see him doing yeah, I, it. I, yeah, I don't either. That's why I, I didn't know if that would work. I mean, I understand every time Cleveland has to pick up, everyone gets crazy. But you know what? For the most part, they had had a good run before this last funk. They had had actually a very good run. I mean, you knew when Isaiah Thomas came in, they were going to go through a period where things were going to change. That's all there is to it. I mean, they were going to go through another another transition period. That happens in this league. There's no question about it. It's been more than a change, unfortunately, because their defense has fallen off a cliff. And Guys are starting. Completely. They're starting. Uh, completely. Ty Lue had this weird quote last night about agendas and being unhappy yep. about te- guys with agendas. And unfortunately, man, it hurts me to say this because he was an awesome Celtic and I loved him and so did every other Boston fan. Isaiah was one of the all-time warriors we've had. But he came back last week and he just doesn't look like the same guy. And everybody's afraid to say it, but he's not as explosive. He doesn't finish at the rim. He looks like he's maybe, I would say, 54% of where he needs to be and whether he has to play himself in the shape or not. The problem is when you're 5'8 and you don't have the same explosiveness you had and you don't have the same ability to bounce off dudes and careen into the basket support and get to the rim when nobody thinks you're going to get to the rim and now your shot's getting blocked and you're not playing with the same fearlessness, that's a disaster. And on top of it, they have him in love defensively out there at the same time, that's a disaster. And I, I think they should be really concerned. I think that Kyrie Irving trade, especially with Brooklyn, that pick falling out of probably the top eight, that trade might be a disaster. I mean, they really have to start thinking about that now. No, I, I, I always felt it probably would be, uh, I mean, in the long run, I don't know what else they could have done. I don't know what, could have happened or keep not him. happened. How about keep them? You know, if, you know, if that was possible, that was the that was the answer. They made it seem like it wasn't possible. I don't know if that's true or not. You know better than me. You know what's going on there behind the scenes. But I he really wanted he wanted to leave because yeah. they tried to trade him in June. People have reported it was a three way deal, but it was actually a four way deal, and the Knicks were involved, and that's why it got out. Because anytime you do anything with the Knicks, it's going to get out. And once he found out, that was it. He wanted to get out of there. And I think he thought LeBron was probably leaving anyway, and he didn't want to be stuck as the one guy left on this team that's just destroyed by uh, bad contracts. And all of a sudden, that's how he spends his 20s. He's super happy. Uh, it worked out great for him. I don't think oh, it worked absolutely. out great for Cleveland. You know, I, I think oh, I think it did. I think the Celtics are in a great spot. They really are, especially with the with Tatum's emergence. I think they they have a chance to be really good. And and forget that they, they don't even have Haywood all year. Let me ask you this, Porzingis, quickly. Are you worried yes. about him? New York yes. fans are starting to get a little worried. Two things. One, 
all this stuff about being tired has got to scare everybody. And I hear he's a lot harder to deal with than people know that he's Ooh. a little more difficult than anyone has heard before. So there's one you haven't heard a lot of, but I've been hearing rumblings of him being a little more difficult to deal with than that dates back to last year, dates back to the whole exit strategy, but a little tougher to deal with than people. And that, and I'm always tired, really bothers me, especially in a big man, because big men, some of them always have injury nagging issues, and they also have energy issues. And when you're going to ask him to do all the things he can do, and he can do everything. I mean, he can do everything. The question is energy and fitness. And I think they haven't found that yet. And that is something that is getting scary. Plus, I do think he might be a little bit more of a diva than Pete. And I like him. I, I, I've got a couple of times I've interviewed him. He's been delightful. He's been playful. But I hear he's a little harder to deal with than maybe people thought. I wonder if part of that has to do with just being in one of the more dysfunctional situations you could possibly that be might in from be day true. one. Could be true. Very, very fair and tired of losing too. So I think that's part of it. And having you know, not having everything that he needs around him, all fair. I just want him to play with energy and I want him to be consistent because he's got a chance to be great. He's got everything you could want in a player. There's nothing he can't do on the basketball floor. He just needs to have the energy and the stamina. You always worry about that. Now, one last one. So, yeah. uh, Red Sox. Yeah. If you could put one guy in the middle of that lineup, who's your wish guy? Who's the guy, if you, within reason, I mean, and I don't know if Manny Machado is reasonable, but do you, who's the guy you want in the middle of that lineup? Oh, we we can't have Manny Machado in Boston. He's public enemy number one. We can't have that guy. Why not? Who, that, could, no. that could heal in a minute. He's you know our, what? That, he's that our biggest villain. In, that can go away in a heartbeat. <laughs> you know that. That's, you know what? That can change very quickly. You can go from being the guy who's in every beanball war and every fight to being the hero in two seconds. The guy that I was hoping they would sign, and I can't believe his price tag rose to where it went, and that would be ridiculous to sign him, is Eric Hosmer. Just because I, I always liked him. I, I think he's one of those gamer, leader, clutch hit guys that uh, just always seems to kind of land on a winning team. But that the, seeing what his salary, like where that's climbing to, I, I just think it's absurd. I, money, money only move. Money only move wouldn't cost you anything except money. Get Cabrera. Oh. I think he'd be completely re-energized. I think he's got two or three great years left in him. I think he could be the next big poppy. The problem is now the he's making the, a fortune. Yeah, he's the, making an absolute fortune. And he looked last year like he didn't want to play for the first time in his career. Right. The guy is one of the great hitters. He's every bit as good as Manny Ramirez. What else do you need to say? Well, and the other thing is he's got a little thing with the Yankees, which would be good for us. I'm right? telling you, that's the guy. Is that only possible, money. I, I think you could get him. I, listen, I don't know if they'd want to eat, you know, deal with that contract, but it's not going to cost you anything except money. They would let you unload them. They, they just want to unload that salary. <laughs> I wonder if they're interested in Derek Price. I have David yeah, Price. That, that, that's the guy. <laughs> that's the guy. I'm telling you, he would be great in the middle of that lineup. Absolutely yeah. great. Well, I would love that. Did All you right. see any movies since the last time we talked? I, I did not. Uh, it's a rainy day. The kids had a half a day with seeing which movie we're going to go see now. We're going to go see something this afternoon. What's your recommendation? All right. We expect a review next week. I, I yes. think The Commuter with Liam Neeson. I think you got to do okay, it. Okay. Bang it out. That sounds good. All sounds right. good. Mike Francesa, thank you. Goodbye, Bill. All right. Before we get to Kathy Carter, let's talk about shaving. Isaac, is your mic on? Yes, it is. How often do you shave? Every day. Every day? Every morning. Really? How old are you? I'm 23. Wow. I was like once a week when I was 23. 
You know what changed my life? I used to get those uh, those little neck shaving pimples. It's a very sensitive skin. Well, you know what's great? The Gillette Fusion Ultra Sensitive Skin Shaving Gel. And then recently I started using the Gillette Fusion Pro Shield Razor. And guess how easy it was to get it? I ordered it and got four refillable razors and free shipping. And then every fourth order free because I subscribed. Why would you want to wait in line at, at the pharmacy or the grocery store? Just get them online. You can get Gillette Performance delivered to your door. No more getting mad at yourself because you got back from the grocery store and realized you forgot to buy blades. Subscribe today. Pick your favorite razor. Again, I recommend the Gillette Fusion Pro Shield Razor. And you get every fourth order free. All you have to do is visit Gillette online at GilletteOnDemand.com. Gillette. Home of the New England Patriots, by the way. And since we're here with your fantasy football season behind you, the only way to use your sports knowledge to win cash is by betting at my bookie, the sports book that makes it easy to deposit and cash out your winnings fast. They have odds on everything, live betting in an all-new prop builder where you can create your own bet slips. Whoa. You bet your friends that LeBron will score 30-plus and have 10-plus assists? Why not bet it at my bookie and put your money where your mouth is? I should bet you on Austin Rivers' performances, Isaac. <laughs> yeah. Bet from your desktop, tablet, or on their world-class mobile site anywhere, anytime. MyBookie offers the fastest no-hassle payouts. When you win, join now. MyBookie will match your deposit with up to a 50% bonus. Use promo code Bill Simmons when making your account. Visit MyBookie.ag today and bet on the internet's favorite sports book where you play, you win, and you get paid. All right, here we go. As promised, Kathy Carter. All right, Kathy Carter is here. We have a big election coming up. What's the what's the what's the title? President of U.S. Soccer Federation. What, how that's do you, right. That's right. The president of the U.S. Soccer Federation. Right now, your job is what? Right. Well, before I started to run for this job, my job was the president of Soccer United Marketing, which, which is, I didn't realize until three months ago. You didn't know that? Yeah, because we knew each other. We we met in I think two thousand nine when I was in Mexico. Yeah, that's right. And we right. hung when out get, that when, whole week. When you got stuck in the elevator, we got <laughs> we got stuck in the elevator. We we had stuff thrown at us. I I don't know if it was burritos or if it was tacos. I think it was both. It was probably and both beer. and beer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But and, uh, we, we kind of we stood bonded. out. And yeah, we, we were we feared for our lives. I'm not sure if we bonded over that or if we bonded over tequila. It might, might have been all of that <laughs> stuff. And uh, and I lo- I looked you up. A f- couple months ago yeah. for something else. And I was like, oh my God, you're running off the marketing for everything. So I didn't, I was like proud of you. I appreciate that. And now that. you're running for presidency. So I had to have you on and talk about this. And I know we feel a lot about, we, we have some of the same issues with soccer in the US yeah. that we think we could fix. That's right. We both see the potential. Tons of um, potential. So let's talk, let's talk about that first. Mm-hmm. We don't make the World Cup. It's the worst thing that's probably happened in U.S. soccer in the last 40 years when you talk about it's only for every four years. Mm-hmm. Um, all the people that it could potentially inspire, it really sucks people in who might not watch the Cup now, all that stuff. And also it just looks bad, especially we've spent all this money mm-hmm. on the youth soccer programs, all this stuff. In your opinion, why wasn't our team good enough? Well, for me, there's been a lot of those instances. This is just the latest. So, you know, our men didn't qualify, albeit U23s for the last two Olympic Games. And that was sort of, we should have been sounding the alarm bell when that happened. So how many years ago is that? Uh, that was the last two Olympics, so 2012 oh, yeah, t- and right. 2008. Um, 
so those those are hurt because then you have a whole generation of young players that didn't have an opportunity to compete in that type of an international event. Um, but clearly what happened in, in our failure to qualify for 2018, it was sort of the lightning rod now that has caused us all now to, to step back and say, what the heck is going on? Because But why did it have to be that? Yeah, I don't they, know. This I mean, was here all decade. I agree with that. I think, though, that, that uh, like most of us, if we're having some success, then we— forget to take a minute to say, what else can we do better? Yeah. Um, and so it takes sometimes something like this that's so impactful to so many fans and to us both in the business, but but really as fans to say, okay, what the hell's going on? Do you think people saw this one coming? Because even even before when it, there was yeah. two games left and all my soccer people who work yeah. at the ring and they're like, we're fine. There's, yeah. It's impossible for us not to make it. I think I said that too. Yeah. Ah, no, don't worry. We'll be fine. We'll be okay. We'll get through. We'll qualify. At the least, we'll have a. We'll be in the playoff against yeah. Oceana. So, did I ever in my wildest dreams think that this was even a remote possibility? No, not a shot. Um, but here we are. What. I now do, because I'm kind of like the eternal optimist, is yeah. I'm looking at that now and saying, all right, it happened. I can't go back and now replay history and make it so that we win and, and get into the World Cup. So now I'm looking at it and saying, okay, now it's, now it's incumbent upon us to say, what do we do? Because ultimately, it's showing that there's cracks. And, um, but we've come a long distance. I mean, you think about it, we're getting ready to have our 23rd season of Major League Soccer, uh, the NWSL. Uh, is on the cusp of its fifth year. Um, and I think that there's a lot that's positive in the game. Yeah. But this part and what we're now able to do is actually come out of the shadows and say what though is wrong and what can we get better at? Uh, how do we develop better players? What's happening in the youth game? Because as you know, it's expensive. It's confusing. There's there's tons of opportunity. Well, the we wrong things are rewarded in yeah. the youth game, which is, I, to me, the root of the problem. Yeah. But no, how I, would you rank it? What would you rank the number one problem? With like, because you always hear, I think the dumbest argument, which I used to say before I knew more about the sport, is we don't get the best athletes. Right. I actually don't think that's true. I think we have plenty of good athletes. And have, and the countries get, that beat us sometimes are, are, are the size have, of like Idaho. That's right. That's right. Well, look at Iceland. Yeah. 500,000 yeah. people. And uh, the, yet they qualify. And by the way, they did great in Euro. Um, With that said, it would be awesome to have like Russell Westbrook out there, but that ship has sailed. But by you know, the way, we, we can will. still have good athletes, and we do have great athletes. And I think though that, um, and someday we will have uh, Westbrook out there, and someday we'll have Steph Curry out there. Oh, we have um, Pulisic. Yeah, we have. That's right, and we have some great athletes that are coming through the system. So to me, I think it's actually that um, how we're developing kids. And uh, what's happening in the youth game is it's it's like acronym soup. It's hard for anybody to identify. I want my kid to get a great soccer education. And yeah. uh, I think it's really hard for a parent to know where the heck to invest their dollars. You know, do I do it with this club or that club or in this league or this international event? Uh, and it's really become kind of confusing. And number two, I think we're, we're, we're selecting kids so young and, and anointing them. And by virtue of doing that, we're almost deselecting kids out of the system. Because if you're not good enough at 12, what if what if you actually what if you actually are uh, at fourteen is when you actually come of age? So we got to find ways. Well, especially to keep kids. with girls, exactly. girls from twelve to fifteen can be totally totally different. different. So what are we doing to keep kids in the system um, and give them reasons to continue playing the game? So that's what's been actually encouraging as I've been out and talking to people yeah. is that as a result of Trinidad, and again I'm going to keep saying it now optimistically that um, 
because I think people now recognize we've got to do something. And what we and so we are going to have to change and we're going to have to get better. And I actually think that's positive. That part of it's positive. So there is a willingness to evolve and right. for us to really look at and look at look hard in the mirror and say what else can we do? Because this what happened isn't acceptable. Right. And uh that part I actually feel good about because I think we are going to get better. I want to let's hold the youth soccer talk for later. The how this works is they're having the election on February 11th. February 10th. February 10th. Yeah, February 10th. And you're running against, does it even matter how many candidates? It could be anybody? Or do they narrow it down to like six or seven? We narrowed it down. This, first of all, um, election happens once every four years. uh, And it's rarely a contested election. And so up until this year, uh, it's usually Sunil ran for a couple of years uh, or a couple of terms as as unopposed. He was a. That's how we have the ringers like that too. (laughs) I ran unopposed again. I'm still in charge. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. That's good. Uh, But this time around, um, a lot of people have jumped into the race. And so the first bar that you had to cross was you had to get a certain number of voting members to nominate you. You had to have three nominations. Uh, So eight candidates have actually qualified uh, with that as the the bar to to jump over. Uh, So there are eight candidates that are running for the role. So So many women. Unprecedented. Uh, myself and Hope Solo. Okay. Yeah. So there are two women in the race, uh, and then six other six other candidates. So in total, four of the candidates are former athletes uh, at, that have played for the national team. I consider myself an athlete, although uh, I didn't actually. I don't have a cap to my name, meaning I haven't played for the full national team. Um, yeah, but you were. How tall are you? I am a whopping five foot five. You're five foot five goalie who played in college, which That's I right. think is like incredible. Yeah, and uh, there's not a lot of five foot five successful goalies. No, there were not. There were not, and that was actually the knock against me. I always, t- you know, I tell people this all the time. I'm like, you know, as five foot five, people looked at me and said, "You, you don't intimidate me." Right. You know, but then I got to play, and and uh, they couldn't score on me, and I considered that was uh, that actually is how I how I got even with them. The, uh, did, were your parents? Would they do that one over again? You know, it was funny. Because the parents of goalies, they're the most nerve-wracked people on the planet, especially when it gets into PKs. No question. I I would never, ever have been able to survive if my daughter was a goalie. I would have been like smoking cigs on the sidelines. My dad used to stand by himself. He would stand by himself. (laughs) He couldn't stand around the other parents because he he would be, and he'd mutter under his breath. He would get mad at me. Yeah. Um, So he was probably my harshest critic. Um, and also, and also obviously my biggest supporter, but, um, but yeah, so I mean, five foot five, I think if, uh, if they knew what we were getting into and they actually thought about it, they probably would have had me be a midfielder, but, um, but I was good and I loved it. And And you have uh, to have a certain level of toughness slash maybe 10%, I don't want to say craziness, but fearlessness. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's some sort of extra gene to succeed because, there passes a point where kids are just flying toward the net and there's, if you pause for a second, you're done. So you kind of have to not have that pause in you. Yeah, you can't have any fear. No. No, you can't have fear. And, um, you know, I, uh, I then was able to take that and those, a lot of those learnings um, and I took that into business. So yeah. in a lot of respects, people say, how'd you learn to be so fearless and being a woman in the sports business for as long as I have been. And I say it all started when I got kicked around a little bit on the soccer field. Um, Do you subscribe to that theory that, that especially with women who played team sports all the way through 
high school, college, stuff like that, that it is actually a huge advantage when 100%. you go to the business world? 100%. I forget who said, was Sheryl Sandberg the one that said that? You know, it's actually been quoted in so it's many, been, like yeah, 90. It's popped around for yeah, a while. 90% of all female CEOs were team sport athletes. Yeah. Or over 90%. But it totally makes sense. And I, I see it with my daughter, who's now 12 and a half. Like the things you learn on a team, especially when girls hit that age of like 11, 12, when at school and people start mm-hmm. sizing each other up and some of the real pettiness starts, you can't have that on a team because the team can't succeed. Yeah. No, and that's, that's, that's actually, and it's funny because A, you learn that. And we also, even as team athletes, team sport athletes, I think we were, we're socialized a little bit differently. Yeah. And that was sort of the evolution that that really Anson Dorrance, who was a, is still the coach at at uh, University of North Carolina, um, and he wrote a lot of books about it when and and all articles and talked about what it was like to coach women, uh, and how he actually tried to break the the women of the habits that of how we were socialized. And you see that more now in terms of the way girls actually come into a team. And I remember it even as I was thinking back and as a, as a player, how we would ostracize another one of our teammates because she didn't play the right way yeah. versus leave it on the field. And I think we've gotten better uh, in that as athletes. Um, and I think that's because we've learned that on the field. But we are, so we, we're different to coach, we're different to manage. Um, but I would say those learnings and how I then had to, you know, win or lose, you know, compete with my my teammates, it's, it was some of the most valuable ways that I, it's such valuable experience that I've taken not just into business, but into life. Well, and the other thing is, and this goes for either side, male or female, that just learning how to fail sometimes is okay. I always feel yeah. like that's like the best thing my daughter has gotten from playing sports yeah. is like, if you don't play sports, it's much harder to fail and to and to just have that that dread or just to yeah. fight through all the stuff that you kind of have to fight through when you get older. You know, when I was when I was a kid, my mom used to always say, you know, I'd lose and I'd get, you know, I'd cry and I'd be all upset or they scored or I screwed yeah. up. And she would always say to me, Kathy, you're building character. Yeah. You know, you're building character. And I never understood what she meant. And then I would get all upset. I'm tired of building character. I just want to win. But now as I look back on it, man, she was right. I mean, because I learned more um, through those two-a-days that you used to do in college and all of the tough stuff that we all went through about what it's like to persevere as an adult and in life. Yeah. Um, there's no better lesson Well, and that's get. another thing you learn is— there comes a point where people start getting better and better as yeah. you get older that if you don't work at it, you're going to, you're going to get cut off. That's you're going to fade away. And it's the ones that keep going. Right. But that's another skill that I think. Well, commitment. You yeah, know, commitment you learn about and, commitment. And also it's like the old David Halberstam quote of doing your, being a pro is doing your job when you didn't want to do it. Right. That's right. And that starts, especially with soccer, with how crazy it is now with yeah. people practicing five, six days a week, like. You kind of, you don't want somebody to get burned out, but at the same time, you can't not work at it either. And there's that balance you got to find. I would like them to play a little bit more just for fun on occasion, because that's the one thing I think we kind of oversubscribe a little bit, which is sort of cultural for, it's not just about soccer. I think that's happening with kids in a lot of, uh, a lot of ways that we're just so incredibly overscheduled. And we're that way probably as adults as well. Um, Well, and that's a specialization too, which you just feel like I'm... I'm still, I've, my biggest regret as a sports parent is that my daughter stopped playing basketball, like that she didn't try to do both. Yeah. But really nobody does that. 
Yeah, and I think we got to, and you know, I got to tell we you, we kind of lost that, that mojo with that. Yeah, and I think we've got to get back to that. You know, I was talking to um, a good friend, Dr. Adam Bennett. He used to be the national team uh, doctor, and he was talking about the the issues that we're facing now as young players, the, mm. the the athletes, the specialization, it's actually affecting those kids and kids are spending more time off the field or off the court because of specialization, because they're getting more injuries. So yeah. there's a lot of things I think we've got to really sort of start to look at to, to say, how do we give our kids more of an opportunity to round them out? No question, being in athletics, check. Want kids, certainly young girls to stay in athletics and be be a part of team sports. Um, but what do we now do to round out their experiences to make it so whether it's fewer injuries, um, keep them on the field or keep them on the court? And I think specialization at some level, uh, it's at 12, I think it's great if they're playing more than just soccer. Well, unfortunately with soccer, because they have these tournaments and you end up playing four times in a weekend sometimes. Yeah. And if you if you talk to anybody who knows anything about the body and recovery and all that stuff, and they say you get injured when your body's tired and you keep playing. Right. And right. it's the easiest, best way to get injured. And yet we have these systems because the youth sports culture is so win-oriented. And I blame parents like me. I love yeah. when like we determine, are we going to win? Yeah. Who's, what's our bracket? Yeah. Um, and then you watch your kid play five or six times over three days or four times in two days. And I don't know. That's not good for a 12-year-old. Yeah. So there is some middle ground we haven't found. If anything, it seems like it's skewing more and more toward more soccer, more practice, more tournaments. And I don't know. There's more burnout potential. There's more injury potential. Yeah, no, that's probably true. But I'm hoping, and this is sort of what I've been out talking to people about, is that uh, there's an opportunity for us to potentially evolve. And, and to make people and, rethink yeah, kind of what we're doing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And because what I love is when you see kids, and you see this firsthand with your, uh, with your daughter and your daughter's team, yeah. the kids still have joy, right? They yeah. still love the game. And so what do we do to package that up and keep it going beyond 12, 13, 14, and make it a lifetime sport? Right. And I still play. I've still I've played up until I was in my—actually, well, I should say I— Somewhat play. Somewhat play. Yeah. But, you know, it's it actually is a sport that people can keep playing. Now, it's not quite like tennis or, or golf, but uh, but the camaraderie I still feel with my friends when I go out and play, it's still like I was 12 years old again. And uh, that's pretty cool. So what were the big successes you had when you took over marketing? Because, I mean, we could have our own separate conversation. Yeah. I feel like the MLS expanded a little too fast. It just the lessons of mm -hmm. the leagues from the past when— the leagues start doing well and they just start and all of a sudden you have 25 teams. But in this case, it seems like most of the teams they've added have been the right choices. Yeah, yeah. And in general, like I still feel like the, when you watch an MLS game versus Barcelona versus mm -hmm. uh, Real Madrid or whatever, like you can tell there's a difference in quality. But yeah, but you can, you, I was, I just was over in uh, Glasgow in uh, Scotland. I was just over for the old firm game in, yeah. and watching Celtic uh, Rangers which is probably one of the most storied derbies that exist in the world. Um, and, you know, that's been going on for hundred, well over 100 years. And, um, and you can tell the quality of that game is not what the quality of the Premier League, uh, the English Premier League is. But the atmosphere is but awesome. the atmosphere is outstanding. Yeah. Which but, is what which MLS is what we have. has accomplished. Right. You know, yeah. we have that. We have that in Portland and Seattle. I was, in October, I was at the last game of the regular season for Atlanta United. And there were 70,000 people at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I mean, well, the final was, was incredible. Right. I watched the well, whole yeah, game yeah. in Toronto and it was the cold, fans. But and man, the game was fantastic. Crowd was great. Yeah. 
So we've definitely been able to find, and I think that's something that's happened not just for MLS, but it's also happened for the national team. You know, we've got a great supporters group called American Outlaws. Yeah. Um, and they bring that passion to the game. And that didn't exist 20 years ago. So What's the right number of teams you think? Well, there's still a few more, I think, out there. I think, uh, you, you know. think you get to 32? Um, like football? Eventually, but not yet. I that mean, seems I, like know, a lot. Right now, 28 seems to be the right number, I would say. And I think that's what, what uh, the league has said that they want to get to. Um, Do they want to get to it because of expansion fees or because no, they think it's the right number? I think because, you you know, well, first of all, remember, we got th- there are three teams in Canada. Yeah. Um, so even at 23, 28, that's 25 teams in, in the United States. Um, I think it's more when you start to look at the the, the map uh, of where good markets could be. Um, and by the way, there's actually no shortage of communities that are interested. I was going to say. Like, and then you've got, you know, the USL has done yeah. really, really well. You've got great markets like Louisville, uh, not just a hosting sold out stadium, um, but also winning the championship in USL. Uh, they were going to build a new stadium there. So there's there's something that's really, really exciting that's happening in the game. And it seems uh, like rich guys are getting involved in buying oh, pieces of teams and oh because man. rich guys who now can't get into the NBA, they never were able to get in the NFL because there's never an NFL team available. And it's right. like, oh, oh well, sure, I'm in on the MLS team. And all of a sudden, yeah. you know, they own 25% of it. Or- well, if you look at the the MLS ownership, uh, the the board, um, it's, it's the... Uh, it's like a young NFL board. It yeah. really is. I mean, it's a young, it's young rich guys yeah. that are that are investing in Major League Soccer. So, um, and they see it because there's a future in the game that is they can be a part of what Jerry Jones and yeah. you know, Bob Kraft and many of the and Lamar Hunt and so many of the uh, the forefathers of uh, the American football and the NFL, what they built and what they've created. Um, is the now, widescreen helps, and the the uh, fact that it's so much better on TV than it was in so much 1981 better. when I'm watching Cosmo games. Oh my God! I mean, I remember when I was a kid, there was like one hour and of soccer that was on television when I was a kid. It was called Soccer Made in Germany. Yeah, and we had to watch on PBS. Oh God! And there was one camera, and it was essentially on the moon. And you could kind of see the ball. You knew that there. You did. You couldn't tell the difference between the two teams. Yeah, at all. It's a huge, yeah. it's, and the fact that it's on at weird sports times really helps too, you yeah, know? Yeah. I think it's really helped the Premier League that no question. people wake up on Saturdays and there it is. Yeah. So what, what's the biggest thing, what's the biggest way you changed U.S. soccer with the marketing over the last like six, seven years? Well, I think two things. You can brag. You're allowed to brag I know, in this I'm part. so bad at no, that. No, you can do it though. All right. Two things. I think we've brought a tremendous amount of money into the game, which is can get reinvested back into the development of the sport. You're talking about sponsorships? Like, yeah, like- sponsorships, media dollars. Uh, we just uh, announced a, a, an extension deal for Major League Soccer with Adidas that was valued at three quarters of a billion dollars. Yeah. Um, and that goes to investing back in the game because, um, you know, you see billions of dollars of investment in, in stadiums that are happening. So a lot of that is is money that gets is, is a part of it. But I think the second thing is really the marketing and the cultural, developing more of a cultural relevance uh, around both the athletes, but also the sport. Um, and so we're seeing that more and more and more today than we ever have You're talking before. U.S. athletes I'm talking U.S. athletes. I'm talking MLS teams. I'm talking yeah. about our women's national team. I'm talking about creating this the cultural icons uh, that your daughter can look up to. Well, your biggest assets right now are the women's national team in Pulisic. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and that's I would like, say maybe, you know, LAFC's coming here in uh, this next season, and I think they've done a pretty good job. I was just, but just at the Portland and the, Timbers yeah, I mean, and that. You but, go but the from MLS a player, teams. Yeah, from yeah. a player's But the women's, yeah. the women's soccer team are the best ambassadors you have at this point, right? Unquestionably. And by the way, I don't think we've done enough with them. I agree. Well, I especially when you see the enough. TV ratings for yeah. the uh, yeah, for, for the, the World Cup games. The problem is there's not enough times to see them. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like the professional league, it's, it just seems like it has so many obstacles against it and it doesn't seem like it has the possibility of having enough players to really sustain it. Yeah, someday though. I mean, what I'd say about that is if you if we were sitting here talking about MLS at five years old, um, you would have been cynical. We would be taking bets as to whether or not it would survive. Yep. And people did. And we d- and MLS is now where we're talking about it thriving and what's the right number of teams and 70,000 people and all the rest of it. So on the women's soccer side of things with the NWSL, I'm really proud of the fact that they've that they've that they've stuck. Yeah. Um, and I think the work that that's been done, but there's a lot of improvements, no question. I mean, you've got young players that can't make a living wage playing in the league. Um, but again, I wouldn't be who I am if I wasn't an optimist. And so I look at that and say, those are things that we can continue to get better at. And field conditions field, and all yeah, kinds of all all stuff. Listen, uh, I'd, all of these things are things that are fixable. It just takes time, it takes money, and it takes focus. And those are things that we can, we're going to continue to get better at. But when I think about the women's national team in particular, and our women's soccer program, I think we should be doing everything in our power to continue to make it the most dominant sports story every year and certainly every four years when we compete for a World Cup title. The, um, the and- biggest thing that seems to be missing from my end is I just wish there were more games where we played the other countries and whether we have to create an awesome tournament here that's, I know know, we have one. I went to the game last year, but like, how do we blow that up? How does that become more of a thing? So it doesn't just feel like these people pass through our lives every couple of years. No, that's a great point. I don't know how, I don't know how you do it though. Yeah, we've been trying a little bit and I think we've got a long way to go by creating those tournaments. There's two of them right now that are, one's called the She Believes Tournament. Uh, So it's the She Believes Cup and the other's called the Tournament of Nations all against different international opponents. Um, which gives our domestic fans, our the American fans, a chance to see the players beyond uh, the World Cup cycle, if you will. Yeah. But I agree with you. I mean, that's part of the challenge, though, is there's also only so many teams to play. And that's one of the things that I think our women can actually be a part of a change on a global level, which is giving more girls the chance that your daughter has to play. Right. And I think you need that's a couple something- young stars, too. Yeah, well, we've got those coming. I got my eye on the Stanford striker. Oh, my gosh. Right? That girl's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. And she can, and she's like a creator and can pass and, and, but she's big and has yeah. size. And I was like blown away by yeah, her. Yeah, people are excited. But yeah. I'm excited also. I mean, Mallory Pugh coming in through, yeah. through the, you know, so there's some great young talent. It seems like there's a lot of those five foot three to five foot five, just yeah. fast as hell. Well, that's um, the thing. I think that, that whole g- generation we, is we, coming. We do have some, we've got some young players that are coming through the ranks that I think are going to be, and the, it seems to me that the, that what they've been doing is getting those, those young players some, some caps and they've get them getting some reps. Yeah. Um, so hopefully they'll be ready by next summer. Uh, when uh, 2019, when our women are hopefully over in France defending the, the World Cup, uh, our World Cup title. That'll be a good one. What was your second biggest thing you're proud of as the marketing? You did that one. 
Uh, well, I talked about the so yeah, I mean, yeah. With the well, I talked money, and then I talked uh, actually the marketing. I mean, actually the athletes culturally getting people in, involved. Uh, but you know, also the just the, the media exposure. I mean, you you've seen that um, firsthand in that our our athletes are on television so much more. Uh, and I'd say that, uh, Pulisic was interesting. It took everybody like a year to figure out what the right pronunciation of his name was. I think still, pe- still people are struggling with it. But, I, I'm uh, still not hundred percent sure I'm right. Yeah. Uh, but we didn't, we've always had this guy's the next one. This guy's the next one. We've never really had the guy. And it really feels like he, he, some of the plays he were making was just yeah. like, no American does that. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know what that will mean because like we had an article today in the ringer about the Curry generation yeah. with this, um, these two guys that are in the NBA draft, Luka Doncic, who's playing overseas right. and then Trey Young, who's at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And these are the first guys who have been visibly affected by Curry yeah. and the way they play and they shoot 12 threes a game and they get to the yeah. line and, yeah. and they're clearly just like his children. Yeah. And I wonder if, if he can keep going. Mm-hmm. What does that mean, and how does that affect America? I don't know. Well, it's gonna if he if he is what we think he is, and if he gets eventually a if he's a hundred million dollar guy, meaning that somebody scoops him up from Dortmund. I think that's and, gonna happen. Can you imagine that happens? What yeah. Do, what does that do to a young player that's playing today? Well, he, they, and they become exactly. basically America's favorite team. That's right. That's right. I already I I check out Dortmund every once in a while just to root for him, and I, I don't even I could care less about German soccer. I watch. I'm, Spa- I'm a Spanish wall, guy. The yellow wall at Dortmund's pretty cool. <laughs> it, it, it is. <laughs> yeah. It is. But um, yeah, no, but you know, we've got some other kids that are coming through. We got Weston McKinney. Um, he's playing for Schalke over in the German for, uh, Bundesliga. Strong name. Yeah, uh, very strong name. We got Tyler Adams playing for the Red Bulls in New York. Uh, people are really really excited about him. So there's so there are some young players that are coming through on the men's side as well. Uh, the challenge for us is it was only it was only Christian that was actually playing for the national team uh, when we were going through qualifying. Yeah, and so I, I think we'd all like, and that's where I talk about the failure to qualify for the Olympics. Did that affect Weston McKinney's ability to to actually represent the, our country in qualifying? Who knows? We won't know the answer to those. But as I think to the future, those are important kids to get through, get into the system, and make sure that they're actually representing the national team. How do you get more of the video game money? Man, isn't that the truth? Well, that's we like sure, Tate over way, there, his generation, that all of them play FIFA. Like I will tell all you, of them. That's, that is, if you look at it, do you know that, that the United States is the number one market for FIFA in the world? So maybe you should take a U.S. soccer tax off every, <laughs> if EA Sports sells FIFA in this yeah. country, you get like a dollar that goes to the programs. Well, that's, a, that's actually, that. Add that, that to your I'm campaign. add that to my platform. I <laughs> love yeah, it. Yeah, FIFA tax. <laughs> Well, I'm not sure if I'd use FIFA and tax in the same uh, sentence. Maybe but FIFA yeah. donation. There you go. <laughs> it's extra dollar. <laughs> no, that's a great idea. Yeah. We should definitely. Tate's, Tate's like, no, man, it's expensive enough. <laughs> what is it, like 60 bucks now? Yeah, like 70. 70? Is that right? Mm-hmm. But then, and then on top of that, are you buying uh, more stuff when you're in the game? Oh, yeah. oh no. No, no, but you, they have no, the, it's, you're not a FIFA Ultimate guy. It's like friendly competition back and forth. You All have right. your friends over, it's like one on one, you know, back and forth. Got it. That's the biggest thing that's changed with video games since my my generation was soccer. We never would have played a soccer game. No, and man, then I, this I, generation, soccer is probably the number one. Other than well, Madden. let's be honest, what was your what was your favorite video game? It was well, it, I mean, when I'm so old, I played every version of the video games. But like, but were you playing Atari or what? I was in television. So I was in television, baseball, and in television football, yeah. and all those. But yeah. then it eventually went to 
you know, Nintendo and Sega Genesis yeah. and, but it was always the football. Yeah. Wow. What was your favorite? Asteroids. Oh yeah. So you weren't even <laughs> playing the sports ones. <laughs> no. I mean, we had, well, tennis, pong, basically. Pong. Yeah. Pong, that's right. We go way back. We, yeah. If when I show I mean, my kids like the video games back. we played, oh my God. Yeah. So youth soccer, um, I've given you my thoughts on this and I think my listeners have probably even heard me talk about this, but just the stuff I've noticed having been a pretty, I don't want to say hardcore, but in, immersed in the youth soccer scene out here for the last five years. Um, the style of play when I watch our national team play mm-hmm. resembles what seems to work at this younger age and what I think a lot of the coaches are telling their kids what to do, which is basically um, kickball. Yeah. Put our two fast kids up front. Mm-hmm. Everyone back there is just kicking it up and we're just trying to set up these one-on-one situations with our kids. There's no possession. There's no artistry. There's no anything. Mm-hmm. It's just basically like, don't score. Don't get scored on and create some kickball situations. We, mm-hmm. I, did, I do Parent Corner with Sal on Mondays we on our football podcast and I did a whole Parent Corner. We lost this three-way tiebreaker in a tournament because... Least goals allowed counted more than goals scored. And I was like, and we had scored three and given up three, but we didn't advance because the teams behind us had scored two and given up two. And I was like, that's what's wrong with our country. Right. Is that we value <laughs> least goals allowed over goals scored. We're actually encouraging people not to get scored on is is more important than scoring. And like, let's start there. That's mm-hmm. just stupid. That is crazy. Um, but how do we get creativity and how do we how do we change this mentality of just kickball, 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 don't get scored on? Well, that's a great question, first of all, because I think that's that I've, I've heard this a lot, not the kickball piece of it, but um, uh, style. Like, what is our style? And we don't have a style. We, I'd say we do. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think we have a style On the women's today. side, we have more of a style, a I think. A little bit more, but I think it's more athleticism on the women's side than it is necessarily technical. Yeah, we um, had Abby Wambach for it, 12 right. years. She's the, well, the greatest female athletes ever. We, we have the best athletes we on did. the women's side of our game. And, Unquestionably. And um, and we may or may not have the best athletes on, on the men's side. I think that's coming, like we've talked about. So I think that's part of what we've got to figure out. Uh, and now, if you got this job, are you in charge of the coach or are you delegating that? No, I that that'll be. I mean, that's a group effort. It's, it'll be a group effort, and quite yeah. frankly, I think you know we've got now twenty years of both athletes, but also twenty years of of people who have made their living twenty thirty years of being in the game and and coaching and administrating the the game itself. Yeah. So to me, we we got to bring more of those experts back into the game and into the federation to to have them be a part of those decision process to making those types of decisions. Um, because you elect me because you think I can lead, yeah. not because I'm going to pick the right coach. Now I'm going to be a part of the process, but if that's what I'm being elected for, that would be uh, I I think we we've got great technical minds out there that we should be tapping into. So if you do get elected, do you think that would be the number one thing? Is there like that person can lead us and give us some sort of plan for the future? Yeah, that's exactly. It's not what like oh, she's she'll make us more money. No, that's, that wouldn't be. No, but like, you've they, proven that you can make I money, think, but that come yeah. kind of comes with the package. Yeah, you get that just because that's who I am. But yeah. but ultimately, it's actually you, you nailed it. That's the part that I feel like we we don't have as much vision right now, uh, and so for me it's about how do I how do you, how do I really bring this disparate population of soccer people together uh, with a shared and common vision, 
and ultimately then execute against that vision. Um, but that's right now, I think that's part of what's lacking. And so across all aspects. And well, so- I, I don't know as nearly as much as you do, but to me, the vision for years and years seemed to be, this was always going to happen. We were always going to get better at this and soccer's catching on and now it's starting to pay off. And even when we hung out in Mexico that time, and Josie was really young, and mm-hmm. it's like Josie's the type of athlete we're going to be getting now, and right. everything's good. It's going to be great. And and then it, and then it's 2012, and then it's 2013, right. and it just and it never really flipped. And I think it almost seemed like they were waiting for it to turn without actually pushing for it to turn or taking chances. Is that fair? Yeah, no, I think it's fair. But, you know, it's like anything. This is, um, there's so much progress that's been made. Gallup poll comes out yesterday and a lot of people are are quoting that today saying, you know, it says that soccer now is pushing to be uh, one of the top spectator sports. Um, Now, clearly- In America or the whole world? In America. And that's not something that I think you and I would have sat there and said that would be the case. Uh, So- Still uh, American football, number one, uh, basketball, number two, but we're nipping at the heels now of baseball. And, I think uh, soccer versus baseball is is a real thing because yeah. I think for Tate's generation over there, we know way more people in his generation who like soccer. Yeah. It's just a fact. And by the way, and, and it's younger, right? So yeah. our audience is you younger. You go under 30, so, I think. Yeah, so I think we're making progress on a lot of those fronts. I think that, uh, and that doesn't happen overnight. So no. to me, when I look at the whole, when I look at the whole picture and what's happening in American soccer today, Man, we've come a long way. We've come a long way. Now, I'm, I'm also You're never You're not sa- making me feel better about missing the, way, the World Cup. I am never satisfied. Yeah. And, there, and I don't think we should ever be satisfied. And certainly, by the way, I'm not going to get over this. I couldn't watch the draw. I was having a hard time turning on the TV to watch the draw. I can't wait to see what the ratings are. They'll still, you know, I, I well, be, you could all, tell me any rating and I'd yeah. believe it. You'd be like, it's 95% of what it was four years ago. I'd be like, all right, that makes sense. And yeah. you could tell me it's 50%. I don't know if we know yet. I mean, I think it's obviously it's going to, we're definitely, I mean, the U S team was about 25% of Fox's ratings in Brazil. Yeah, uh, Mexico uh, will still drive what Telemundo will have on television. So they'll still be okay. Well, and also um, you have, if, if Messi, oh, Argentina's not in, right? No, Argentina's oh, in. Oh, they made it. Okay. Yeah. Chile's um, not in. Chile. That's Italy, right. Holland. Italy was the stunner. I, I thought oh, Italy yeah. just was like grandfathered in every four years. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, they still have major stars in the tournament. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it'll just, I think it'll be so strange because it's been this cycle of every four years we talk ourselves into, maybe this is the year we make a run. And yeah. It's to not even be able to do that this year. I know. it's. Uh, but back think, to the youth soccer thing, yeah. because it sounds like you understand that that's super important for this job. It's critical. It's critical. Is that like wading into a, a land war in Vietnam in the 1950s, where it's so big <laughs> you almost don't even know how to do it? How do you even how do you fix youth soccer? Well, I think you um, you don't say you're just going to fix it, right? That's not it. But you culturally start to shift. Um, we start to identify those things, and I think one of the things I'm really thinking hard about is, you know, in you know how it is in soccer, we we like to eat our own a little bit. So uh, I actually think we probably need some independent thinking about it as well. Probably need some people to come in and and help us think through it in a way that uh, um, listens to all the points of view, which is what I've been doing over the last let's say 45 days, but then ultimately identifies some of the ways that we can get better. Hmm. Um, and I think that that will take some independent thinking um, that we may or may not have deployed earlier because there's a lot of people upset that we're not in the World Cup. 
Yeah. Uh, and I think that actually gives us an opportunity to get more people involved um, and help us think through some of these big problems that we have. The gender disparity we've heard about between the national teams, mm-hmm. but to me, and this is one of the reasons I called you a couple months yeah. ago, it's much worse than youth soccer. Yeah. And especially when you see the biggest clubs in California, which I think is, I think it's the biggest, I think Southern California is probably the biggest region for youth soccer in the country. I think that's right. Yep. And the way the boys programs are treated versus the way the girls programs are treated and the clubs and, and the fields and all this little stuff that you would never think about. It's unbelievable. We were, I was telling you last year, our team was practically got a field that didn't have goals on it, you know? And meanwhile, the boys teams that were in our clubs, they had all these fields and eventually that made us uh, launch our own club just because we were like, this isn't right. And so you have that problem. You also have um, a lot of the clubs make the kids pay. Right. No right. matter what. And it can be from 2,500 to 3,000 a year. And we're talking like the best clubs. And the and mm-hmm. so, which really knocks out some families that might be like some of our next soccer heroes. They might not have a club. That's one of the club my daughter's on, Tadell FC, has uh, 33% scholarships right now, I think. Mm-hmm. But it just, there's so many different inequities. Yeah. I don't know how you fix that, but I, I would start there with, with trying to make a, a more level playing field for... Well, Boys when, and girls, and then just like and the we, poor and middle where class. Where I think we can do that is we can treat our women's national team the same way we treat our men's. And that's not, and by the way, I think that's equal pay, but it actually goes much further than that well, for me. field conditions yeah, and the fact they're playing on that crap turf. Yeah, and playing on turf, but, but People it's don't also, understand how awful it is to play on that turf. Yeah, well, especially that one that was sort of breaking up. But yeah. um, but it's also about, you know, we're, we're not paying enough for staff. We're not paying, we're not giving enough resources to the women's program so that they're treated at the same level as our men's program. So there, I mean, so for me, it's not just about pay, although I believe that to be an incredibly important issue. It's about respect. Yeah. And so if we can do that at the federation level, if we can do that with our national teams, what's the, that gives the the right story. And it's also the right position for what you're dealing with in your youth community. Yeah. Because it does actually speak to what we should really be looking for, which is that our women players, our girls players, are just as good as our boys players. And I think that's something that I feel pretty strongly about. Yeah. And we can we can lead by example there. And the other thing is, you really only need to find two great players a year. If you're talking about for the national team. Right. Because they're going to, the right ones will have a 10 to 12 year career. So you're just talking about two boys and two girls every year and that's it. And we're a big country. And we're a huge country and I can't even imagine how many kids we're knocking out of the equation who don't even, who might've been that kid and we didn't even know because they couldn't afford to play for the best club in their region or whatever. There's a kid today that that, uh, is still playing for the national team, this kid, uh, Jorge Villafana. Um, And uh, he actually, the way he got, we found him uh, as a player was when back in the day, so probably about 10 years ago, uh, we used to run a program with Major League Soccer called Sueño MLS. Yeah. And this kid, got he was cleaning churches and uh, down in Southern California, down in Orange County. And uh, he came into this tryout, this reality TV thing that we were doing with Univision and won this competition. Wow. Which was essentially, you know, win a, win a chance to have a contract. And he won a contract to come into the system, and the kid now plays for the national team. And it was just, and he almost didn't come to the tryout. That's amazing. By the way, altered his entire life. Yeah. 
because he just got out of what he was doing, which was, again, he was uh, working a, a job that uh, was after school and he had been forgotten on the fields. And this is a kid we found and is now representing our national team. I think the, uh, the LAFC team is going to be important here because yeah. Carson's just not close enough to LA and it doesn't feel like it's it's just far enough away. Yeah. And you're talking about a downtown team is going to pull in right. a lot of, the stadium's going to be cool. Yeah. They yeah. have, you know, the right kind of people behind it. And uh, I think that could be a big deal here. But, you know, it starts adding up. If you get downtown LA, you have Seattle, yeah. you have Toronto, you, you just start, yeah. you go through 20 cities and people brick are bringing brick. their kids. Yeah. Brick by brick by brick. You can kind of see the blueprint. Yeah. What, we, what else do we need to cover? That was it, right? I think so. Do we hit everything? I think- uh, Oh, I forgot to ask with uh, with Sunil, because um, you're part of that regime and now he's kind of getting, you know, he's not there anymore. Does that, is that the, how do you prove to people that you're your own person, that you're not just the regime continuing? The puppet, yeah. as, as people like to say. Yeah, because well, you're starting to feel that now because you're one of the front runners. Yeah, you know, I guess what I'd say is, well, I, I'd say a lot of things, but- um, yeah, 25 years I've been in this business, and uh, I'm usually the only five foot five uh, female sitting at the table. <laughs> right. Um, and so I've been the dissenting voice for a long time. And anybody that knows me, they know that uh, I've got a pretty, I'm, I don't have to be loud, I have to be effective. Yeah. And if I hadn't been effective, I wouldn't still be here. Right. And that's for darn sure, because uh, there are plenty of other people that wanted to uh, to come in and grab my spot at the table. And um, survival, and I didn't just survive, I thrived. Right. <laughs> so I think about it that way. Like, seriously, anybody thinks that I'm anybody's puppet is just nuts. Well, I would say especially you. I mean, yeah. even when we were in Mexico that week, like, it wasn't like there was a ton of women, like, hanging it, out. Nope. It was it was a mostly male thing, and that's what sports is like. Yeah, 100% it's male, the, yeah. I could name, you know, Casey Wasserman has that dinner at All Star every yeah. year, and- you know, you notice who the powerful women are because right, right. there's just wasn't that many. Now that seems to be changing and we're evolving. It. I think there's yeah. more of us in the business, but um, but and there were women before us that were even fewer. But right. uh, and I credit them so much for having paved part of the way for us all, and for us, we're paving the way for your daughter. Yeah, and uh, for the next generation. So I mean, listen, that's what we're all trying to do is just make it better for the next group that comes behind us. Um, but ultimately, anybody that thinks that it's been easy to get to the role and get to the position that I'm in, they know then they don't know me very well because ultimately I, I've fought and clawed and, and scraped my way and more more importantly I've been successful. And that's when I look at this next uh, I like this. Now you're bragging. This yeah, is good. This I is knew I gave you this point. Yeah, yeah you start selling there. yourself. This is yeah. good. Because well, I agree with you. Yeah. And I think that um that's the part. I don't uh I don't have to be a television pundit. I don't have to get out there and actually uh say that I can do these things. I've actually done them. Yeah. So you and know, more importantly, you were a goalie and goalies are tough. That's a, that, that's for sure. Goalies are legitimately tough. Yeah. I have a lot of respect for it, especially yeah. once you get to college. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any concussions? Yeah, um, I had one. One that had you know one about? One that I know of. One that I know of. A couple other bell rings? Probably, yeah. That's my biggest fear with soccer right now. Yeah. I try not to think about it, but like, you know, um, some, te- some teams, when they get younger, they teach the headers and all that stuff. Our team... It happens, but we don't like actively practice it. But uh, 
you know, the the well, dangerous ones are somebody's clearing yeah. it and they just clock the ball into somebody's head. Yeah, no, it's more head to head or head to ground, that sort or of like stuff. Or like the collisions or, with the goalie. Yeah. Those are the two ways it happens. Yeah. And I think, listen, I think we're all smarter. I mean, when yeah. we were kids, the idea you get your bell rung. That get was, out there. You get, get back out there yeah. or do any of those things. Are you ready so, yet? Well, I think most of us now, we understand that that's not the way to deal with those things. And so in all sports, but I think, you know, the instances for soccer are fewer and farther between, but we still need to be, as parents, we still have to be very um, diligent about making sure that our kids, that we give them the time to recover. I think that's the key thing. I can only speak for Southern California, but I think there's real vigilance with with this. When somebody gets hurt or doesn't seem right, they'll stop the game. They usually try to take them off. You, you usually don't see that kid come back you know, in. I was just out in Phoenix um, this past weekend, and I was watching the Region 4 ODP uh, tournament was going on out there. Yeah. And that was the number one thing that they talked about was um, the level of protocol they now have in place if a kid does seem to have a head injury. Mm. They have so much in place now. I mean, we barely had trainers when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and by the way, Definitely not when I was a kid at college we did, but the, the the just the protocols that are in place are exponentially better today. And I think you're right, a level of vigilance around it, uh, and that's part of that's that's part of this whole thing is making sure we're aware of these things so we can keep kids healthy. Um, so in that sense, I think that uh, we're getting smarter for sure. Yeah, we the the disparity needs to get fixed at the youth level though with yeah, the boys versus the girls. I, I agree with that. Especially like now and especially mm-hmm. after all the stuff that's happened the last five, six months, like just in society and yeah. the way people are rethinking a lot of different things, it's probably good to youth sports should get in there at some point. Yeah. Where, yeah. hey, I, we should this should probably be fifty fifty at this point and it's not. Yeah, it's interesting. I think though that um one of the great things that sports teaches you is to stand up for yourself. Yeah. And because if you fall away from a tackle, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, you don't do as well. And I think about that when we think generationally and what's happening and with Me Too and all of these other cultural things that are happening in society today. I think that our young, young athletes are far better prepared to handle some of those situations that they've been in or that they may face themselves because they'll have so much more confidence. And that's one of the great things I think sport teaches you. Uh, Plus, they have more confidence because it's getting destroyed uh, online every day as they're on Instagram and all those different places. (laughs) The sports is a safer place than the internet. It's a safe haven. (laughs) Safer place than the iPad somehow. That's exactly (laughs) right. Running into people at 20 miles an hour. Um, Good luck in the election. Thanks. I'm glad we did this. I'm glad I, I talked it. you into this. <laughs> yeah, it took you how long to take us? It, it took us a couple know, it years. Took a couple months. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah I mean, well, at a least, couple years and then at least a couple months. Oh my like, God. This time since I yeah, you, you, you want to know part of this. Well, yeah. you kept a low profile. That was one of your I things, know. but now you can't. Now I can't. Now I'm um, out there. All right. Well, I, I won't put a bumper sticker on my car, but I think people know where I stand. Uh, thanks, Bill. Thank you, Kathy Carter. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks to Mike Francesa. Thanks to Kathy Carter. Thanks to ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. My listeners can try for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Thanks to Gillette. Get Gillette Performance delivered to your door. No more getting mad at yourself because you just got back from the grocery store and realized you forgot to buy blades. Oh, man. Subscribe today. Pick your favorite razor. Get every fourth order free. Visit Gillette online at GilletteOnDemand.com. Don't forget to subscribe to NBA Desktop. On Facebook, watch or just watch it every week on our Twitter feed. Don't forget about JJ Reddick's new podcast with Kyrie Irving, which is something else. Don't forget about my new column on theringer.com about the New England Patriots. Who knows? They might lose by three points this week and that'll be it. And all of a sudden, 
we'll be looking at Brian Hoyer and Josh McDaniels as the quarterback and coach. I don't think that'll happen, but uh, you know, you fear the worst with this stuff. Anyway, we'll be back on Monday. Cousin Sal and I will be wrapping up round two and looking forward to the conference championship games until then. So